This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. Hi, I'm Greg Watson and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters where we talk all things property. We're going to look today at a bit of statistics, what's happening around the country and we've just got a whole big bunch of articles here that have been in the media recently and I'm just going to go through some of those, make some comments and hopefully those will be of interest to you. But first of all, let's look at the monthly property report that's been brought out by the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand and particularly how that relates to Baruatu and Whanganui. The, the month of February 2021 had showed the highest number of properties sold in a February month for 14 years, according to Bindi Norwell, the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand's CEO. So that's really moved upwards. The sales volumes increased in a bunch of regions. However, in, here in Manawatu, it's still pretty hard to find properties to buy and properties to rent. There's still a lot of people uh, going through the open homes and so forth. So I'll just bring you maybe some of the, the stats that are, that are happening. The inventory levels, in other words, how many properties are available, in Manawatu Wanganui, it's down 40.3% when compared to this time last year. So that's only 410 properties available in the entire Manawatu Wanganui district. Now that district's quite big. It includes like uh, Ruapehu and so forth. So... Uh, they do this thing called um, to figure out how many, if no more properties listed, how long it would take before they would sell out, and that's about six weeks currently in our region. So low properties available means high prices. And compared to this time last year, Manawatu Wanganui district is up 41%. So that's 40% equity in homes that were owned this time a year ago if the median house price is relevant to your property. So let's look uh, a bit more specifically at the Manawatu-Wanganui region. So it does include Horofanua, which has gone up by 35.6% in a year. That's about, on the median house price, 144000 Palmas North City is up 28.9% when compared to this time last year. The median house price now 676500 and that's up from 525000 a year ago. So... Uh, that's $140,000, sorry, $150,000 of equity building in a property in one year. Really quite incredible. Notable as well, Wanganui District up 36.2% when compared to February a year ago. The movements are massive in terms of the, the prices, etc. And that's something which is really making it hard for people wanting to buy, but it's really just driven by supply and demand. And the lack of supply is a big problem. A lot, of, lot more people are trying to opt to build. Um, however, the issue there is having enough land. We'll talk about that soon in an article. But first of all, I just wanted to bring to you this uh, article from New Zealand Advisor Online that housing confidence hits a 25-year high, according to ASB. 
So house prices continue to skyrocket post-COVID-19 pandemic and Kiwis expect them to shoot up in the next 12 months according to the latest ASB Housing Confidence Survey. And net 73% of the survey's respondents expect house prices to continue rising in the next 12 months and that's the highest in the 25-year history of the survey and a significant increase on the previous 65% record in July 2015. And their expectations tend to align with economists' predictions with ASB senior economist Mike Jones predicting house prices will rise a further 15% this year. Really quite incredible. And in Manutu Wanganui, it's particularly the last four months to five months when compared year on year that are well into the 20s and in some cases into the 30s of percentage growth. ASB does predict that at least on a national scale for 2022 that their view is that the rising supply and eventual modest increases in mortgage mortgage rates will pull annual house price inflation back down to single digit levels in 2022. Uh, But let's just wait and see what happens. Uh, I have my view on economists and it's not necessarily particularly fair so I might not voice that on air but I I believe uh, my view I guess is that um, property prices in Manawatu will continue to rise by 10 to 15% for at least the next two to three years. So leading to this article by Paul Mitchell in the Standard was that pressure to grow up instead of out as Palmas North runs low on land. So the demand for space for housing developments in Palmas North is growing faster than land can be freed up, posing quite a difficult equation for the city planners. As developers warn residential sections have almost entirely sold out, the City Council was tasked with trying to stay ahead of housing demand in its draft 10-year plan. Acting City Planning Manager Michael Duendam, and excuse me if I've got the pronunciation wrong, he said that the biggest problem was all the low-hanging fruit had been picked. So he says, after we've done with the current developments in the pipeline, we probably won't have any other opportunities for large developments. The city would have to grow up rather than out to make the most of its land within its existing boundaries, he said. Most potential residential areas on the city boundaries were more hilly and had gullies running through them, And that brings in complications such as stability, sensitive ecologies and the water supply. And while flatter terrain often looked promising, it could bring high liquefaction risk, the same phenomena which turned soil to quicksand during the Christchurch earthquakes. He said the council aimed to fill the gap by supporting more infill housing, multi-storey housing complexes and redevelopment of ex-commercial properties. One example of this was the tweaking of consent rules over the past five years to allow smaller gaps between buildings and boundaries. LJ Hooker Palmer's North Principal Steve Allen said the city was well on the way to the kind of urban and land use intensification uh, that he had spoken of. He says you can tell just by how long it takes you to drive across the city it's getting more congested than it used to be. So the council's rule changes have made it easier to develop small-scale infill housing and it got more finicky when a project was large enough to trigger urban design rules. Allen said he understood the need to maintain quality to ensure new housing was livable and that the consenting rules had been tight enough to ensure everything was done properly. He says we do need to be swifter on foot, trying to get the housing consented, so finding the right balance its an interesting little problem. So three years ago, Greenfield Developments accounted for half of the growth in the number of new houses in Palmas North and 38% were on infill sections. So infill developments now account for 50-55% to 55% of new housing growth. Duendam said the 
shortage of land has also led to new houses becoming smaller. The floor area of new homes consented in Palmerston North has been shrinking since 2006 when the average size was 220 square metres. And that's downsized to 147 square metres in December 2020 with garage size often the first sacrifice. So MRB Builders Business Manager Grant Bin said there would still be green space available or said there was still green space available and Palmerston North wouldn't turn into Wellington any time soon but the developer felt lessons could be learned from the bigger cities as Palmerston North grew more dense. Bin said poll-supported houses were proven, stable, low-risk options for housing on hillier land but they could be difficult to get consented in Palmerston North. So it's really interesting to, I mean, what, what a difficult problem with um, so many people knowing how awesome it is here to live and uh, Wanganui is having a similar problem with being able to, um, although they've got some big subdivisions underway, um, with regards to housing enough people. And so we'll just have to watch the space for what the council can do with regards to any way of freeing up land more quickly. The Resource Management Act is under uh, I'm not sure what the correct word is, but under review or is going to have changes and that's something that we'll just keep an eye out for that might make it easier to get housing built. Just down the road in Wellington, the median house prices soared to $1.1 million, while Porirua jumped by 273000 in one month and this from stuff.co.nz. So Wellington house prices have, have continued to skyrocket with first-home buyers struggling more than ever to crack a property, according to the article. New data from the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand shows the median house price in Wellington City is up 35% for the year ended February 2021, pushing it to that $1.1 million mark. Porirua saw even a bigger increase with median prices rising by more than a quarter of a million dollars to 980000 in just one month. The increases are the latest in a growing trend with house prices soaring since COVID-19 pandemic uh, and also few, fewer houses being built in that region. Even the median house price is pretty amazing that it's risen by 22.8% um, in the last 12 months to 780000 So getting very hard to, to buy property there. Um, even areas like Capity Coast and Carterton uh, the house prices there are 803 and 662 respectively. So there's this creep north on both sides from people working in Wellington and uh, the prices just keep going up indeed. It's pretty incredible. If you own property, it's wonderful. If you don't own property, it's uh, something that's difficult, no doubt about it, um, because people renting, for example, if they don't own a property, um, the rents are going up significantly as well, up to ten, well, ten to fifteen percent per year at the moment, and that's that's a lot. But looking at the more affordable side of things, uh, this article from Down South says new homes give Queenstown families time together, restore mana, and independence. So there's twenty five apartments that are among the first of up to four thousand Housing Minister Megan Woods hopes will go through the four hundred million dollar progressive home ownership scheme. They give the example of a family and that are looking at going into one of the apartments in the coming weeks. And they're among the 25 families who have bought a new home and these folks were saying they love the space and uh, the average price for a one-bedroom home under the Secure Home Scheme at the Toru Apartments is 220000 A two-bedroom unit averages 320000 And this is amongst an area where the median price for a house in Queenstown is more than $1 million. 
So they speak about the Stanley Joneses securing one of the units, and they meant they'd be able to spend more time together. Gareth Stanley Jones, an IT support technician for the Queenstown Lakes District Council, shares custody of Angelique with his ex-wife who lives in nearby Arrowtown. He could not afford to buy a home in Queenstown and would have had to consider buying in Cromwell 45 minutes away to get on the home ownership ladder. And he'd been looking for two years, so, so now he's got into the property and it's providing some security for his family. So it's interesting to see that some of those have got underway and got started, which is great for the people living there. So pro- probably uh, finally in sort of the, the wider region, the Petoni Courthouse is to get a new lease on life and a $1 million project following the sale. Now this is a courthouse that's been derelict for three decades. It's the former, built in 1911, it's a former Petoni, Petoni I beg your pardon, magistrate's court. It was owned by Welltech for many years, but then it was condemned as being earthquake prone. So a builder, Paul Kinsman, said he has bought the Category 2 heritage listed building with plans to restore the exterior and turn it into a residential property for himself. I do love those projects and, and seeing how they finish up. So the Edwardian building was a police station for probably the best part of four decades and it's been empty since. Um, it's not in the best shape, it's tagged and got fire damage from vandals but uh, he's going to get in there, get stuck in, do the remedial work. He said the, the earthquake strengthening and renovation work would cost between 800000 and $1 million. So that's really quite incredible. It's probably one of the reasons why it's sat empty as a number of buildings around the country are. And we've got some here in Palmerston North and an obvious one that springs to mind is the... Uh, the old High Flyers building, the old post office building there, that the restorative work costs so much that it's very hard to sell it. But we'll have a little break now. I've got uh, Jin Wigmore, a bit of Kiwi music with Oh My. You're here on Property Matters. We'll see you after the break.
Jin Wigmore with Omai, oh and you're listening to Property Matters here on NPR Manawatu People's Radio, Te Reo, Irirangi o Nga Tangata o Manawatu. I'm Greg Watson, it's lovely having your company. We're going to have a slight change now, and I saw this story from New York, and you might be wondering why we're going to New York, but it was just so strange, I had to bring it to you. This is the headline, it says, New Yorker discovers creepy secret flat behind the bathroom mirror, but are there squatters? So this is relating to... I mean, the, the article says, who, who doesn't love the idea of discovering a secret door in an old house or a treasure behind a wall? But one New York flatty made it exactly such a discovery behind the mirror in her bathroom where she found not a secret panel but an entire hidden apartment. As Samantha Hartso says in her TikTok video series shared on Twitter, she was confused about where the cold draft was coming from in the flat. She says, I asked my roommates, like, do you guys have air coming through your room? And they did not. So I started feeling and the air was coming from the mirror. So in this video, it's quite creepy. She removes the mirror and finds a large hole and glimpses a room behind. And she says, what what if someone's staying in there? So like any intrepid, intrepid explorer, she climbs into the hole while one of her freaked out flatmates tries to talk her out of it. She says she was firm about John, the flatmate, staying at the mirror, being there for her. And in the mirror, in the video, she says to him, "If I'm not back in five minutes, do you hear me? In five minutes, call somebody." So, what did she see? She found well, she was reminded of every horror movie and CSI show she's ever seen as she's creeping through because it could be someone living in there. In fact, in the video, she finds signs of life, some trash, an aerosol can, but otherwise, the filthy apartment appears empty and gutted, with missing wall linings and exposed plumbing and wiring. She walks down some stairs to a lower level, finds a door, exit the hallway, and heads straight to the shower. So uh, it's just amazing because this went viral. The uh, story went viral, and um, she's had tens of thousands of people <laughs> have a look at it um, to see what's going on. So uh, she does say her landlord's going to be getting a real fun phone call from her tomorrow. I imagine getting that patched up and filled in is probably high priority. <laughs> so we're now going to look at this article, which was on stuff.co.nz. And this is, what should I ask a lawyer when buying a house? So someone's asked the question, I'm about to start looking for a house to buy and I'm struggling to figure out when I'm supposed to go speak to a lawyer. Can I submit my offers and then just go to a lawyer if one's accepted? Or am I supposed to check with a lawyer every time? 
So every time that you make an offer on a property, you're saying that you're committed to buying it subject to whatever conditions you include in the offer. If you don't speak to your lawyer before you sign on the dotted line, you risk missing out on useful legal advice and information that could potentially have a significant impact on your decision to buy or not buy a particular house. So your offer is put forward in the form of a sale and purchase agreement and this agreement lays out all the particulars of sale like the price, chattels, settlement date and any conditions. Your lawyer will help you understand this document and give you advice about what conditions you might want to add in to help you understand the impact of any conditions that have been added by the seller. So in a hop market where competition is high, uh, I understand how tempting it can be to cut corners and to move quickly in the hope that it will improve your chances of securing a house. However, for most New Zealanders, buying a home is generally the biggest financial commitment you'll ever make. And when things go wrong in a real estate transaction, the financial and emotional impacts can be significant and long-lasting. Let's talk about an example here. Now, there's Jackie Griffiths um, in Mochuaika. Um, It's important uh, looking (laughs) in a Mochuaika home that had no sinks or taps. Uh, A photo of that on this article and stuff. So it's important that you do research on a property and get advice from professionals so you can go into the transaction with all the information you need to make a decision with confidence. Your lawyer plays a big role in this process. As well as giving you legal advice about the contract, your lawyer can help you to identify any issues with the property, especially the issues that you can't physically see. For example, the title might be defective or the LIM report, the land information memorandum, might show that the property is in a flood zone or on an earthquake fault line. Your lawyer might suggest a change to the wording of a particular clause in an agreement or they may spot that the house doesn't have code compliance certificate from the council. If you're looking to purchase a cross-lease or a unit title property, they can help you to understand how this is different from a freehold property and what extra due diligence you might want to do for that type of home. These are not necessarily reasons that you'd want that you wouldn't purchase a property, but they are things that you want to know before you commit to purchasing a property so you can make a fully informed decision. Now, there are lawyers here in uh, Palmerston North I'm aware of who you can take your contracts to and they don't charge unless the property goes unconditional. So this article is written by uh, Belinda Moffat, I think it is, from the Real Estate uh, Authority. And at the Real Estate Authority, it says, we recommend that every buyer speaks to a lawyer before signing a sales and purchase agreement. The Real Estate Authority regulates the conduct of licensed real estate professionals and our Code of Conduct, which sets out the ethical principles that every agent must follow, says agents working with a prospective buyer must recommend that person seeks legal advice before signing a contract. It also says that the agent must give the person a reasonable opportunity to obtain that advice. In other words, the buyer can choose to skip this step, but the agent must give them the opportunity to speak to a lawyer. And if an agent fails to do this, you can notify the Real Estate Authority about your concern if you felt you were pressured into something. Seeking legal advice does come at a cost and it can start to add up if you're looking into multiple properties but investing in good legal advice according to this article is cheaper than dealing with the expensive problem with the property once the sale is complete. So having a good understanding of the property transaction process means you can spend that on-the-clock time with your lawyer discussing really important legal and due diligence issues. But just so you know, and in case you're interested, you can find free checklists, tools and videos about the property transaction at settled.govt.nz. That's settled.govt.nz. That's got plenty of information on there. Finally, on today's show, an article, just a word of warning for tenants. 
when they finish up their tenancies. This article says landlord wins $4,355 from tenant who left a considerable amount of rubbish. So a Timaru tenant has been ordered to pay her landlord $4,355. So in a tenancy tribunal on March 1st, Shannon Owen was ordered to pay $2,444.25 for removal of rubbish and gardening work and the $267 for a lock and key replacement. This is in addition to the Tenancy Tribunal ruling which was made on October the 19th which ordered her to pay almost $2,600 in unpaid rent uh, from which her bond was deducted. So what happened? On September the 22nd, 2020, Owen abandoned the property without telling a landlord who found the property unoccupied at a routine inspection. Under law, if the property is abandoned, the landlord can collect rent 21 days after the date in which the property is found to be abandoned. So the judicator ruled that the tenant did not leave the premises, including the exterior of the premises, reasonably clean and tidy and did not remove all the rubbish. The amount of rubbish that had to be removed was considerable. One thing that's interesting to note for landlords is the ruling says the amounts ordered are proved by invoices and photos and by evidence given by the landlord. So that's something just to bear in mind uh, if you are taking a court case, uh, tenants, if you are uh, wanting uh, recompense for some money that you've spent or landlords, if you're wanting to make a claim against tenants, just keep lots of invoices and photos so that when you go to court, you've got the best possible opportunity of putting things right. That includes having some really good ingoing photos. And this relates to tenants and landlords. And having a bunch of ingoing photos when you first move into a property will protect you the same way as if you hire a rental car. Uh, it's a good idea to take a lot of photos before driving it away so that you can show damage and show that that was there before. But if you're abandoning a property, uh, obviously life's pretty bad, but you're still going to get hit with a hefty amount of money to have to pay back at some stage. Uh, these things just end up sometimes going along, along for a long period, but it can uh, follow you for years. Of course, if you do uh, abandon a property, that's likely to go up uh, on the Tenancy Tribunal website, of course, and that means that landlords can search your name as a tenant and see the ruling, see what's happened, can really massively affect your chances of getting another property. So so tenants, just be really careful. Uh, if you're in a situation where you might be left um, carrying the baby, so to speak, just be very careful around that. And um, places like Tenancy Tribunal or the Citizens Advice Bureau can give good information about how to best help yourself without incurring all of those massive costs. But in this case, it sounds like fair's fair. The place was left... Uh, Uncleaned, gardens undone, rent unpaid, and uh, and so therefore that tenant's um, paying the th- or going to have to pay those thousands of dollars at some stage. So that's all we've got time for this week. We've been listening to Property Matters. It's been lovely having your company, and you can also not only find this on MPR, that's Manawatu People's Radio, mpr.co.nz, but also wherever you can find good podcasts. You look up Arms North. Property Matters, or my name, Greg Watson, you should be able to find that. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Have a great week. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show.